Heart disease accounts for a fourth or a fifth, medically speaking, of deaths in the United States. Roughly 20 to 25% of all deaths in the United States are due to heart disease, different types of heart failure. This has been the case for the last 70 plus years in the United States, since 1950. It has been the number one killer. In Mark chapter 3, this morning, we're going to learn about hard hearts. Is there hope for a hard heart? Now, what Jesus is talking about in Mark chapter 3 is not heart disease as we know it, and as we talk about the statistics of heart disease. But there's something interesting about the human heart. It is the control center of the entire human body. The brain... You might think is the control center, but if the brain doesn't have the oxygen and the blood from the heart flowing to it, the brain can't operate. And so throughout scripture, when God talks about the most important part of a human being, when he talks about the seat of our emotions and the things that make us tick and what's actually the core of our issue, he always talks about what? The heart. The heart. The human heart is what is infected with sin. It's not our hands and our feet. These are the instruments that get into sin. But they're driven by the heart. The heart is a fleshly thing. In Ezekiel chapter 11, to give you a little bit of a context of why it is Jesus talks about the heart and what difference Jesus makes and what difference the gospel makes in Ezekiel chapter 11 Verses 19 in the Old Testament, there is a promise given by God to his children Israel who had become hard of heart. We see it in Ezekiel 11, 19. He says, I will give them one heart and shall put a new spirit within them and I shall take the heart of stone out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. God says in the Old Testament about his people many hundreds of years before Jesus comes on the scene, God in the flesh, God says this about his people, they have a heart of stone. They have gotten to a place where their heart has become so hardened, can't function anymore. He says they need open heart surgery, they need something they cannot do for themselves, they need new hearts. And so he says, I'm going to remove the heart of stone. I'm going to put within them a heart of flesh. So here in Mark chapter 3, we have a little bit of a context of what's going on as we learn about this hope for the heart of heart. Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 1, we're going to read through verse 6. And he entered again, talking about Jesus, into a synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they were watching him to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath in order that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, rise and come forward. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save a life or to kill? But they kept silent. 
And after looking around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. And the Pharisees went out and immediately began taking counsel with the Herodians against him as to how they might destroy him. The middle of this passage, the Bible tells us something particular about Jesus, that he was angry. It might surprise you in verse 5. I think it surprised most people when they come to verse 5 and they see that Jesus is angered. And we might be tempted to think Jesus is only angry at religious hypocrites. And so therefore, we should be angry like Jesus at the institutional church or anybody within it or anybody that acts hypocritically. The truth is, is if you are a human being, you will act hypocritically at some point, right? Jesus' anger that we encounter here in verse 5 is not one that is just directed toward these particular scribes in this moment. It's the universality of the hardness of the human heart. It just comes to the surface here in this moment you know how sin does that it hides underneath the surface does your sin do that hides underneath the surface but then you get in an argument with somebody someone provokes you and what happens just erupts it's just there everybody can see it it's on full display so what happens here with jesus and these scribes he gives them an opportunity He takes out that magnifying glass and he looks closely at them and he can see something within them and it makes him angry. It makes him angry. Their hardness of heart. The Apostle Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 1, verse 21. How is it that people, that human beings, get a hard heart? Paul describes this in his letter to the Romans, chapter 1, verse 21. He says, even though through general revelation, the way that God reveals himself to everybody, just the beauty of creation, the way that he works, he's revealed himself through what was made. But listen to what Paul says here. For even though they knew God, that is up here in the brain, in the mind, even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. But they became futile, in their speculations. How do we speculate? We speculate with our minds. They became futile in their speculations, in their thinking about God, in their philosophizing about God, in their science about God. They became futile. And what happened as a result? Their what? Foolish heart was darkened. We tend to think if we give God if we can find God with our minds, if we can discover God with our investigative abilities, scientifically, philosophically, mathematically, if we can find God, then we'll give him our heart. But the Bible says it's actually just the opposite. God will never give you the things that your mind desires, the satisfaction that you want to have in knowing that God exists and all of his plan for you. You can never have that in your mind until you have a new heart. He has to change your heart. 
He has to do what you cannot do. You will never learn yourself. Lost people will never educate themselves to the point of finally believing in God. It won't happen. Because our, our hearts have been darkened, our minds have been clouded. We can discover things about God. Many atheists have done this. But their hearts remain hard because the Holy Spirit hasn't done a supernatural work in their life, hasn't made that exchange, hasn't, God hasn't taken out that heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. That's what has to happen. Here, the first thing that we recognize in this story is that a hard heart doesn't know when it's walking in darkness. It doesn't know when it's walking in darkness. Darkness becomes natural. Na- darkness becomes the status quo. Everybody's doing it. When a, when a heart is hard and a mind is darkened, it doesn't even know what it's doing. Notice the scribes here. These are people who are experts in the law of God. They are experts at the holiness of God. They know up here all about God's holiness and his expectations. Yet, in the very beginning of this story, the Bible tells us Jesus entered again into a synagogue. This is on the Sabbath day. If you were here last week, we looked at three different instances of where Jesus addresses the issues of the Sabbath and fasting and things that you can do on the Sabbath and things like that. And we learned that Jesus told the scribes who were trying to catch him He says to them, the son of man, talking about himself, is Lord, master, even of the Sabbath. Not only is Jesus a rabbi, a teacher with disciples who follow him, just like John the Baptist had disciples that followed him and the Pharisees have disciples that follow them. Jesus has disciples, yes, but Jesus says, I'm different from them because I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath, the thing that was created, that was made back in Genesis, I'm Lord of that. He was placing himself even before the Sabbath as the uncreated, unmoved mover, as John 1 says, the Logos, the one through whom and for whom everything was made. So he's Lord of the Sabbath. We find again here in chapter 3, verse 1, it's another Sabbath day. Jesus is in the synagogue where the law is always being read. And certain people attend. And who are those people? The scribes, the Pharisees. Again, they show up. It's where they should be on the Sabbath day. But verse 2 tells us their intentions. What were they there to do? They were watching Jesus. Well, that seems like a really good thing to be doing on the Sabbath, does it not? I hope that when you come to church here at Grace on Sunday, you're here to see Jesus. To meet Jesus, to watch Jesus, not to watch anything else. Okay, the gum that's underneath these little benches that you're sitting on, or the ketchup smears, or whatever. Don't think about it, okay? Sorry, I distracted you. But when they come to see Jesus, it's not to worship him. It's to see if they can catch him doing anything. They wanted specifically to see if they would, if he would heal Verse 2 says, this man. So they know Jesus is going to be there. They know that this man with a withered hand is going to be there. And that's why they show up on the Sabbath. They want to see fireworks. Is he going to blaspheme the law of God? Is he going to blaspheme 
the Lord on the Sabbath. They came in order that they might accuse him. They don't even know what they're doing. We come to the last part of this section in verse 6, which we're going to revisit in just a minute, but I want to see what, I want you to see what's happening in verse 6. After this exchange of them wanting to see, is Jesus going to do something unholy on the Sabbath? Is he, is he going to do a work? Think of their intentions. They come to the Sabbath to do what? To rest? To worship? No. To study. To see if Jesus is going to do something. They're taking notes. They're already working. They're already scheming, verse 2 says. And then when we get to verse 6, we know what their intentions are because it's the same day, it's the Sabbath, and where do they go? They are so angry, they leave the synagogue. What does verse 6 tell us? Look at your Bibles. The Pharisees went out and immediately began taking counsel with the Herodians against him as to how they might destroy him. This group of people who are sticklers for keeping the Sabbath holy leave the synagogue and get to work. Scheming. Not just scheming alone. Scheming with godless, Roman-sympathizing Herodians to kill the Son of God. Jesus does not allow them to walk in darkness. He doesn't allow their thoughts to go on privately, but he decides to expose them. They don't know that they're walking in darkness, and he does something to show them that they're walking in darkness, and they still don't get it, and that's what grieves him so much. He says to this paralyzed man, this man with a withered hand, in verse 3, rise and come forward. Rise and come forward. Jesus, in previous instances, if you'll remember, whenever he knows what people are thinking, what does he say? He usually exposes it, doesn't he? When he's in a room and he knows people's thoughts, he says to them, he says to them, why do you reason in your hearts, X, Y, or Z? And they're like, whoa, how do you know I was thinking that, right? What does he do in this instance? He doesn't confront their thoughts. He knows their thoughts. He knows what they're thinking. He knows that they're walking in darkness and they don't even know it. And so he says something, but he says it to the man with the withered hand. Let's expose this. And he says to the man with the withered hand, come forward, stand up and come forward. Now all of a sudden, he brings this issue out into the light. Folks, that's what we're doing whenever we preach and teach and share the gospel. We're bringing things to light. We are putting on full display the glory of Christ. In Colossians uh, chapter, chapter 2 verse 15, Jesus doesn't just do this in his ministry there in Capernaum and in Judea, but we do it today. The church does it. The church in Colossae is encouraged by Paul to 
live out the gospel in a public way, the way that Jesus has portrayed salvation through the cross. He says, verse 15, this is Colossians 2.15, when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Jesus didn't die in a lonely corner of Jerusalem. He didn't die in a ditch somewhere. He didn't die of old age. He died publicly. As publicly as you can imagine. The Bible says that he bore not only our sins, he bore our shame. All of those hidden places in our lives about our sin. He bore all of our shame on the cross publicly. The hard heart walks in darkness. It doesn't even know when it's walking in darkness, but Jesus exposes. He shows the hard heart. He's loving enough to expose our sin to us so that we will see it. In Ephesians chapter five, the apostle Paul goes on to apply this again to the early church and for us today. He says, instead of walking in darkness, what Christians should be doing with, the, with those who follow Christ and belong to Christ should be doing, he says in Ephesians chapter five, verse six, let no one deceive you with empty words for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. You were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. You should be, verse 10, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. That's what we're doing today. Now that we're Christians, we're walking in the light. We're not hiding anymore because we have a new heart. God's given us a new heart, a heart of flesh. These scribes that Jesus is talking to here in Mark 3, they don't have a heart of flesh. They have a heart of stone. But they think they're in control of their life. They think they know God. And they've rejected the Son of God and it's breaking Jesus' heart. He's angry and he's grievous over their attitude. The second thing that we notice, if I can find my clicker here, a hard heart misconstrues God's plan and purpose. A hard heart misconstrues God's plan and purpose. They think that they know God's plan. We come to verse four. Jesus says to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? But they kept silent. Their silence is what the Bible shows here. As Jesus looks around, he becomes angry because they're silent. Notice, notice what Jesus says to them in verse four. He asks them a question. Now this could be kind of like a complex question where there's no good answer. In philosophy, uh, the complex question uh, is one where it's kind of a gotcha thing. You ever argue with anybody and they kind of give you, throw out this gotcha argument? It's called a complex question. This is probably not a good example, but it's the one from philosophy that everybody refers to. A complex question is like this one. If you, if, if you were to ask some man, have you stopped beating your wife? That's a complex question. 
Why? Because either way you answer that question, it, it implies bad things. If you say yes, it's a yes or no question. If you try to explain it, no, no, it's just simple yes or no. Well, it's not a simple yes or no. Because you're implying that I once was beating my wife, I never have, and so, well, that's yes or no. Right? You see how a complex question works. I don't think Jesus is doing that here, but he could be. He could be saying, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? I can imagine there might be some scribes saying, this is a complex question. Because what we're looking for is to do absolutely nothing on the Sabbath. That could be option three. To do good or to do evil or to do nothing. To do... to. To save a life or to kill or to do nothing. There may be some in the crowd who were thinking that. Scribes who were thinking. It's not the option we're thinking about. We're thinking you come, you read from the law, you expound on it, but you don't do anything. You don't do any work. So what if there's a paralytic man with a withered hand in our presence? Now, extra biblical sources. We don't have this in the New Testament gospel, so it's not important or else the Holy Spirit would have it here and want it to be here. So I'm cautious even to mention this. But there are extra biblical sources from the first century that say traditionally people thought that in this, in this instance this man may have been a stonemason who had a paralyzed right hand. Which would have meant he can't work and so he was forced to be a beggar. Now the text doesn't tell us that here. But we do know that this is a man who has a withered hand Especially if it's his right hand, he can't work. What are you not supposed to do on the Sabbath? Work. So this is not a matter of a man who, who could work but is not working, but this man cannot earn a living, probably. And he's there because he knows Jesus is there and he knows what Jesus can do and he shows up. And all these scribes show up knowing that the man with the withered hand who can't work, who's begging probably, is going to be there. And their heart is not. Praise God that Jesus and this man are in the same place. That this man could be healed so that he could start actually observing the Sabbath the way that God intended. This man doesn't even have the ability to cease from working because he doesn't even have the gift of working. These scribes misconstrue God's plan and purpose. Jesus is pointing out, as he did before, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for this man with a withered hand. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Is he going to restore life and function to this man's withered hand so that this man could worship the Lord properly on the Sabbath? Absolutely. But they misunderstood the law of the Sabbath and the intention of the Sabbath. These scribes didn't get it. For this man with a withered hand, the Sabbath was just another day that he was out of work. Jesus would fulfill the law of the Sabbath for mankind. He would give us rest when he went to the cross. He would satisfy the wrath of God he would finish the work. It's over. So why is he angry? Why is his heart grieved? Because these scribes who 
knew the word of God, the written word of God, like the back of their hand, didn't get it. They couldn't get it. When the Apostle Paul talks about the way that God hardens whom he chooses and he saves who he wills in Romans 9, he's talking about these types of people. These scribes who have a heart of stone. They can't believe because they have a heart of stone. They become even more hardened. The more miracles that Jesus performs, the more Jesus that they get, the more in his presence they get, the harder their hearts become. Not the softer. The harder their hearts become. Brothers and sisters, the more that you infiltrate the culture and season the culture as salt and light in the culture, you know this, don't you? The culture doesn't become more friendly to you, do they? No. The more you speak up in your workplace, the less you gossip at the water cooler, the more you're going to stick out and the harder it's going to become. Because people's hearts are not softened many times. They are hardened. But there's hope for the hard heart. We'll get to that in just a minute. But the third thing that we find here, a hard heart is blind to its own hypocrisy. We throw that word hypocrite around a lot, don't we? We shouldn't take it lightly. But it's very obvious in this passage that Jesus was dealing with hypocrisy. They had come to find Jesus in sin. Will he work? Will he do something? Will he sin by working on the Sabbath? Verse 6 tells us, as we looked at earlier, that these Men left the presence of Jesus. They left this amazing setting in a synagogue where a man is given the ability to work and to rest again and to honor the Lord of the Sabbath. To worship God. They leave the presence of Jesus. Jesus who now at this point is angry Now that word for anger is one that's just momentary. He doesn't stew in his anger. He looks at them with a look of anger and then the Bible says he was grieved. He was grieved at their hardness of heart. He said to the man, in full view of everyone, because remember he already called him to come up, come up to the front. Everyone can see this man. He says to the man, stretch out your hand. That did it. Verse 6 tells us the Pharisees went out and immediately began taking counsel with people they shouldn't have even been taking counsel with. As an aside, brothers and sisters, uh, in in the Christian worldview and in the Christian walk, we must be very careful not to live in such a way where we believe and practice that wrong actions justify good ends. That wrong 
motives and actions will justify good ends. You see a lot of that in the political world in the United States. When we're so motivated by fear of what's going to happen to our freedoms that we elect people or we promote parties or whatever because we think it will end up going well for the church in the end. There, is, there, is, there are no ends that God will bless through evil motives. These scribes left the presence of Jesus and thought, how can we get enough leverage to kill him as quickly as possible? And they recruit the powerful, royal class of Herodians who are in bed with Rome. That's where we'll go. We'll go to those who have power. They can get it done. Wow. That takes a lot of work. And they're doing it on the Sabbath. They're doing it on the Lord's day. These legalistic watchers think that God is not watching. They're watching Jesus. Is he going to do something on the Sabbath? Their legalism has led them into a blind corner. They can't even see their own sin, forming alliances with those they should never form alliances with. This is not just the wrong thing to do. This is a stupid thing to do. They made an alliance with godless rulers. Those who revere God's word so much, those who are looking for the Messiah so much, those who are so concerned with the holiness of God, these legalistic nitpickers are so concerned. Oh, and then they blow it. Because they're so fearful of what's going to happen. Their hearts are so hard that they are blinded to their own hypocrisy. And they commit this unbelievably stupid deed. This all sounds like bad news, doesn't it? How horrible. They were complete and total morons. And so are we. But here's the good news. Acts chapter 2. Here's the good news. There is hope for the hard heart. Keep your finger there in Mark chapter 3 and turn to Acts chapter 2. After Jesus' resurrection, he sends the apostles out. After his ascension, he sends the apostles out. The same men that, some of whom were with him at that moment, there in Mark chapter 3. Peter, Andrew, James, John. Peter is preaching a sermon. He's proclaiming the gospel by the way, remember that gospel which Paul said in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of it. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. Yes, even those who have hard hearts. To the Jew first, also to the Greek, he says, I'm obligated to Greeks and to barbarians, to everyone. And Peter is going to preach this message here in Acts chapter 2. Who is he preaching this message to? Well, the Bible tells us. Verse 5, there were Jews living in Jerusalem 
devout men from every nation under heaven. In verse 22, Peter starts preaching. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. That is, Peter was saying, you have been there. We saw you in this place and this place and this place. Some of these people were there and saw Jesus heal the man with the withered hand. This man delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross, listen to this, by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Peter is saying, I was there. I saw you leave the room. I saw you go and confer with the Herodians and plan to kill Jesus as soon as possible. You hung him on a cross. You turned him over. He says, and God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Now he goes on. Verse 32, this Jesus God raised up again to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. Verse 36, therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Guilty. You are guilty. Hard hearts crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 37, there is hope for the hard heart. Listen to this. Now, when they heard this, that is, when they heard the gospel proclaimed. Remember what Paul says in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of it because it's the power of God unto salvation. The Bible says when they heard this, they were what? Pierced to what? The heart. Can God get in? Oh, yes, he can. Can God change a heart of stone? Oh, yes, he can. He promised in Ezekiel 11, he would do it. I will remove the heart of stone. I will put in a heart of flesh. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit through the preaching and sharing and proclamation of the gospel. You are surrounded by people with hard hearts all over your life. But God can and will, by his divine grace, change them. He does it here with these scribes, these Pharisees. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Their life starts to turn. The Holy Spirit speaking into their heart. They're no longer going away as hypocrites, stepping away as schemers whose foolish hearts are darkened. Now their minds have been illuminated by the power of the Holy Spirit and there's a change that's starting to happen with their heart. And they say, what must we do? And Peter says, repent. Repent. And let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Hard hearts turned into flesh. There is hope for the hard heart. Aren't you glad? 
Aren't you glad that God in his grace through the gospel of Jesus Christ can give and does give people like you and me hearts of flesh? He removes the heart of stone. There is, there is no way we can come to Christ in our own strength. There is no way the people in your mission field where you live, where we live, there's no way that the people that live here in Maricopa will come to Christ unless God in his mercy gives them a heart of flesh through the preaching and teaching of the gospel. That means you and I are the hands and feet of the message that changes people's very hearts until they have that message. And if you're here today, if you're lost and you have a heart of stone, until, until God gives you a heart of flesh, until you bow the knee to Him and to Christ, your mind will continue to live a life of hypocrisy and scheming against God. You will continue to be a rebel against God. It's only when we submit our will to Him and He gives us a heart of flesh that we can be changed. And then when He changes us, He creates in us a new mind and a new heart. He turns us on to spiritual things. He does a work in us. Have you been changed? You can be. Only through Christ alone. In our mission field, the people whose lives God has put us in, their lives can be changed, but it's only through the power of the gospel. Jesus was angry once. He was angry a few times. He was grieved. And what grieves him the most are human hearts that continue to be stony, ground, resistant, recalcitrant, stubborn. And he weeps. And he goes to the cross and he offers salvation to those who will humbly accept the free gift of salvation for